Well, today we're going to talk about three resurrections. I realize at first that might sound a little odd. Say, aren't we here to celebrate one resurrection? Say, this guy goes away for sabbatical for a few weeks and comes back with some strange ideas. I think once I explain what I mean, you'll realize I haven't gone off my rocker, at least not yet. Uh, When I talk about three resurrections, I'm talking about the past resurrection, the present resurrection, and the future resurrection. Uh, If if you've been around VGBC for a while, you know I like to think in terms of past, present, and future. When we've talked about the Lord's Supper, when we've talked about baptism, I always talk about there's a past aspect, present aspect, future aspect, and the same is true with the resurrection. And I believe if you come to grasp these three aspects, the past, the present, and the future resurrection, I believe you will be able to experience all that this day really means. And so I'm going to ask you if you would please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to ask you if you'd please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. The simplest way to find 1 Peter is to go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and then just go flip a couple books back and you'll find 1 Peter. This is 1 Peter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 through 5. And just a reminder, this is the very words of God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pray. Father, I lift up our time together in this passage as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Help us better understand these three resurrections so that we experience all that this day means. For your glory, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So the first resurrection is the past resurrection. When I talk about the past resurrection, I'm talking about the one that happened roughly 2,000 years ago. We, we recently finished our sermon series through the Gospel of Mark, and we gave a lot of attention to the historical nature, the historical reality of the death and the historical reality of the resurrection. And that's actually not the emphasis today. It's important. It's essential. Everything we're going to say today is dependent on that event. Uh, But notice how Peter refers to the past resurrection in verse 3. He says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So when he talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, he's talking about what I'm calling the past resurrection. It is a physical, historical, bodily, literal resurrection. Once again, it is not the emphasis of the passage. It is essential because everything else in the passage is contingent upon it. And we are gathered here because of this event. We are gathered here because we believe this event happened in human history. You know, we live in a day and time when it's sort of considered to be cool to be searching. If you, searching for the truth. Searching for meaning in life. If you were to be in a coffee shop and talk to somebody and say, you know, I am on a search for the meaning of life. I'm trying to find out what's true. And I'm exploring the religions and I'm exploring spirituality and I'm on a search. I bet most people would say to you, that's really cool. Like, that's, that's really special. You know, I commend you for doing that. Way to go. That's really important. But if you were in that same coffee shop and you were to say to someone, you know, I went on a search for the truth. 
And I went on a search for the meaning of life. And I explored the religions and I explored spirituality. And I have come to the conclusion that I know the truth. They will look at you like you're a religious nut. You know, like, give me my coffee and I'm getting out of here. This guy is strange. If you're searching, you're very cool. If you found the truth, whoa, 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 you know, who do you think you are here? Right? I'm out of here. And the reason is because if you say, I've found the truth, I believe this is it, I believe this is the meaning of life, that means something. You have to do something with that. If Jesus Christ died and rose again, that changes things. If you believe Jesus Christ died and rose again, you can't just turn around and live however you want. If you really believe he died and rose again, you can't turn around and just do whatever you want. You can't turn around and think whatever you want. It changes things, right? And, and, and the Bible is making the claim that Jesus Christ died and rose again. Now, if you are a person who's searching right now, we're glad you're here. We hope you feel welcome here. We hope this is a church community where you can feel welcome to, to explore and welcome to ask your questions. We welcome questions. We welcome the tough questions. We don't want to just give you little pat answers and say, quit asking questions. Just, you know, we, we want to wrestle with these questions with you. So if you're searching, we're glad you're here. Uh, but I would encourage you, you know, don't search forever, right? Uh, fish or cut bait, right? Form a conviction. Like, like, don't search forever. If you were searching for a treasure, and you found it, you wouldn't be like, well, that's no fun finding it. I'm going to just act like I didn't find it, and I'm going to keep searching. That's not the point. You go on the search in order to find. And perhaps God has you here this morning to find the truth. Perhaps God has you here for a reason, to find the meaning of life. You know, you thought you were coming just to appease your mom, and maybe you thought there was a little candy in it for you, right? Or maybe you're here to appease your spouse. Well, she wants me to come. It's Easter. I guess I'll go. You thought you were just coming to appease someone, but perhaps, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Maybe you're really here because he has for you to discover the, the truth, the meaning of life, the reason for your existence. And the Bible's making the claim that the meaning of life, the truth begins with, with coming to grips with this historical event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now you may say, well, why is that particular event so important? Why is, that, why is that the foundation? And that brings us now to talk about the present resurrection. Here's what I mean by the present resurrection. Because Christ was raised in the past, God will take and is willing to take Jesus' resurrection and actually apply it to you now today. He wants to take the resurrection of Jesus and apply it to you. He wants you to realize that when God raised Jesus from the grave, it was God's way of saying, I accept his sacrifice on your behalf. And here I am raising him, demonstrating, proving his sacrifice atones for your sin. So come to me, God says, and let me apply the resurrection of Jesus to you so that you can experience a present resurrection. That's what Peter's talking about in the passage. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to focus on two phrases here. The first one is born again, and the second one is a living hope. So first of all, born again. I wonder where Peter got this phrase. I wonder where he heard the phrase born again. I bet he heard it from Jesus. 
We see Jesus talking about being born again in John 3 when he talks to Nicodemus. And Nicodemus says, what are you talking about? Born again. That's not possible. That doesn't happen. Am I supposed to enter a second time into my mother's womb? What are you talking about? And Jesus says, no, of course that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a physical rebirth. I'm talking about a spiritual rebirth. You have to be born again. You have to be spiritually born. You have to experience a spiritual resurrection. Another term we use for this is conversion. You have to be converted. You have to be born again. Now, a lot of people hear that. You must be born again. You can be born again. And they initially have one of two responses to it. Some people hear it and they say, that sounds wonderful. I have an opportunity for a new start. I can be forgiven and be born again and start brand new as if it's day one. And the answer is yes. God is merciful in verse one, according to His great mercy, verse 3. You can be born again and you can have a fresh start, brand new beginning, white as snow. That's one response. And if you're responding like that, wonderful. Keep listening and you will hear what to do, how to respond, how you can be born again. But many people hear this and they say, oh, I'm not overly interested in born again. I'm not overly interested in conversion. You know, if, if Jesus can kind of come in and sort of help me along and make life a little better for me, then okay. But, but I'm pretty happy the way I am. I mean, I've got things set up. I've got my life set up. I'm not really willing to just sort of hand the keys over to somebody. Right? I like life the way it is. Yes, there can be some improvements. If Jesus can help me with that, fine. Let him come in to help me with that. But that's not born again. And if that's you, the reason it's you is because you don't really see that you have a need. You're pretty happy with the way life is. And Jesus actually says it's nearly impossible for you to be born again. It's nearly impossible for you to enter the kingdom of God because you don't see your need. You see yourself as a person who pretty well has it all put together. And Jesus says, people like that, it's impossible to be born again. So uh, the problem is you don't see your need. One of my desires this morning is to kind of lovingly help you see that you do have a need. You do need to be born again. And to help you see that, I want to focus on the second phrase. Born again to what? Born again to a living hope. Here's a good question for you this morning. Good question for me. Do you have hope? What is hope? In our country, in America, people tend to think of hope as sort of synonymous with the American dream. Like, life's going to get better. I'm going to progress. I'm going to make more money in the future than I do now. I'm going to have more retirement in the future than I do now. I'm going to have more toys in the future than I do now. I'm going to have a nicer house in the future than I do now. My kids are going to have a better life than me in the future. That's kind of the, the general... American dream that a lot, I think a lot of Americans, when they think of hope, this is kind of what they think of. They think the future is bright. And, and the reality is, most polls reveal that most people today don't necessarily think that their kids are going to be better off than they are. Right now, there's not a lot of optimism about the future. And whether there's optimism or not optimism or whatever the polls say, regardless, the reality is that's a very uncertain way to live your life. Just banking on hoping things are going to generally be better tomorrow than they are today. You have no guarantee of that. We have no guarantee of that as a, as a, as a people, as a country. We have no guarantee of that as individuals. Like Anything can happen. We live in a, a brutal world, a nasty world, and anything can happen. And so we often use the word hope to refer to things that really at the end of the day are very uncertain. Like, I hope my team wins. 
I hope they might. They might not, but I sure do hope they do. That's the way we often use the word hope. I hope the weather is nice today so we can go outside and enjoy the sun and the, the nice warm temperature. I hope it doesn't, it's not too windy. I have a feeling it will be windy. Right? But boy, we sure hope it's not. There's a lot of uncertainty around that. I sure hope my kids are better off than I am. Yeah, yeah but they may not be. But the, the Bible is using the word hope here in a much more certain. Like we have this hope and we know it's going to happen. Notice the words in verse 4. An imperishable undefiled, unfading. How can I have a hope that is certain? How can I have a hope that's not just, you know, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. How can I have a hope that's certain? Well, there's a key word here that I think is the clue for how our hope can be certain. Our hope is a living hope. What does that mean? We have a hope that is living. It means our hope is in Jesus Christ. And by the way, He's alive. We believe He rose from the grave. We believe he's not in the tomb. Well, if he's not in the tomb, where is he? Think about that. Where is Jesus right now? We are saying we believe he's alive and reigning as the king right now. We believe he's alive and reigning as the king at God's right hand. And so our hope is in him. It's grounded in the resurrection. But our hope is a living hope because our hope is in Him. And secondly, we are taking God at His Word and we're trusting, as God's Word says, that if we will look to Jesus and trust He died for our sins and rose and He's alive today and one day will soon return, if we trust in this, the Bible says that God takes the work of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus and applies it to us now, today, like it's applied to you to such an extent that you are born again. You are spiritually raised up and you are seated with Christ right now. Listen to how Paul says it, Ephesians 2.6. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Paul says, we've already been raised up. There's a sense in which you've already been resurrected if you're trusting in Christ. When God thinks of you, He thinks of you as united with Christ. Where's Christ? Christ is in heaven at God's right hand, reigning and ruling. If you're united to Him by faith, you have been raised up already. You are seated in the heavenlies. Now the key is just learning to think of yourself that way. I've been raised up. I've been born again. I've experienced a spiritual resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus in the past has become personal to you. That's the point. Has the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago become personal to you? I was able to visit one of our missionary couples, the Webbs, in Ireland the first week of my sabbatical and had a great trip. It's good to be back. Uh, but one of the things I enjoyed doing while visiting them is they, they, I went and visited some of their church members in their homes. And they were very hospitable. You know, the first thing they do is offer you tea or coffee. You know, coffee or tea? Yes, please. Coffee sounds great. And, and usually a little pastry to go with it. And then you sit around and you talk. It's very, very fun, very enjoyable. And in the process of meeting with people in their homes, there was more than one person who referenced Oliver Cromwell and didn't just reference him, but referenced him with great passion. Now, Oliver Cromwell was a commander of England and was responsible for killing many Irish people. But this was like back in the 1600s. Right? This is back before the founding of our country. And these people were talking about him with passion. Like they had a strong distaste for Oliver Cromwell. And they asked me, you know, what are your thoughts? Have you studied Irish history? 
You know, what are your thoughts about Oliver Cromwell? Well, I, I really, you know, I, I remember the name and I've studied him and, uh, you know, it might take me a little bit to recall him, but I, to be honest with you, I don't think about Oliver Cromwell that often. Right? I don't know about you, I don't remember the last time I thought about Oliver Cromwell. Now he's kind of been on my mind a lot lately. <laughs> it's not overly personal to me. Oliver Cromwell's not overly personal to me. Now, in a similar kind of way, my guess is George Washington is not overly personal to them the way he might be personal to some of us. In fact, I heard about a poll. They polled some elementary students in England and they asked them, who was the first president of the United States? 25% said Denzel Washington. <laughs> Obviously, George Washington is not overly personal to them. Here's the point I'm making. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has to become personal to you. It's not enough to say, I believe it happened. The question is, have you gone to Christ and trusted that he died for you? The question is, have you had the resurrection of Jesus applied to you? Have you experienced the resurrection of Jesus Christ to such an extent that you can say, I have been raised to walk in newness of life. I am raised up and I am seated with Christ in the heavenly. And therefore, the resurrection of Jesus Christ has impacted me. See, I want to show you one way from our passage that the resurrection of Jesus Christ should impact us. Look at verse 6. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. When you have been born again to a living hope, guess what? You have hope. That makes sense. If you have been born again to a living hope, then you will be a person who has hope. And you will be a person who has joy. Paul says, you rejoice. Peter says, you rejoice even though you've experienced these various trials and they have experienced significant trials. He's writing to churches that are being persecuted, being scattered, and he says, you, you rejoice in this, that you've been born again to a living hope, even though you're experiencing these various trials. By the way, we've all been experiencing various trials, especially over the past couple of years. There's been a lot of trials. There's been a lot of political tension. There's been a pandemic. And it's been tough to navigate, you know? What do we do? What are we supposed to do? What are we not supposed to do? And, you know, how do you interact with people who might disagree? And people are kind of constantly changing on what they think and what they do and what they don't do. And just navigating for the past two years, it's not been fun. It's been a significant trial. And we've lost loved ones, a lot of loved ones. I was looking back at my notes, and I have done 27 funerals in the past two years. It's a funeral a month. That's a lot of loss. In, among our church family. And here's my, here's my point. Here's my question. Do you have the ability, do you have the capability to go through a tough season and come out on the other side and still have hope and still have joy? I don't mean you come out on the other side and go, man, that was great. Let's do it again. I mean, you come through it and you say, that was rough. And I, I hope I never have to go through that again. But at the end of the day, there's still hope. There's still certainty. There's still joy even though there's been various trials. And I just want to point out, many of you have. I've seen you. You've gone through a rough couple years. And you've come through it, and on the other side, your faith is even stronger. And your hope is still there, and your joy is still there, 
And I just want to say, way to go. You've proven, you've proven that your faith is real. And, and, and you know, he uses the image of gold tested by fire. The gold goes through the fire, it comes out on the other side, it's still there. What does that do? It proves it's real, it proves it's authentic. So if you've come through a rough season and your faith is still there and you still have hope and you still have deep down joy, just be encouraged today that your faith is authentic. And let that just be a source of encouragement to keep going, keep believing, keep trusting, keep putting your hope in Him. Perhaps for some of you, this season really hasn't been that tough. For some people, it hasn't been. They've been sort of shielded from it for various you know, their jobs and things like that, which is good. If, if, you have, if this hasn't been a tough season for you, wonderful. Right? But, but let's be honest, you're going to go through something at some point in your life. Right? There's going to be some tragedy. It's the nature of the world we live in. And my question for you is, will you be ready? It'll happen. Are you ready when it happens? Will you be able to endure it? Will you come through to the other side and still have joy and still have hope? See, what I'm getting at right now is the need. We talked earlier. Do you see your need to be born again? Some of you say, no, I really don't. I'm really pretty happy. Things are pretty good. And I'm telling you, they won't always be. At some point, you're going to come undone. And the question is, can you endure it? Do you, do you have what you need to get through that? Right? And I'm saying, if you are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you will be able to endure. You'll be able to endure anything. Right? Think about that. What's the worst thing that could possibly happen to you? Are you willing to even go there? What's the worst thing that you could imagine possibly happening to you? Now imagine just briefly that that happens. Can you endure it? Can you come through it on the other side and still go and still have hope and still have joy? I'm telling you from God's Word, if you will be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, you can endure anything. It won't be easy. I'm not promising you that. It won't be fun. I'm not promising you that. I'm telling you, you can endure it. You say, how? How can I possibly because of the certainty of the future. And that brings us now to talk about the future resurrection. Let me briefly summarize what we've said so far. The first resurrection is a past resurrection. It happened in the past. It's singular. It's the resurrection of Jesus. It is physical, literal, bodily. It happened. Because it happened, therefore, there can be a resurrection in the present for you. If you will go to Jesus and trust in Him, God will take the resurrection and apply it to you, and you will be born again. You will experience spiritual resurrection. You will be raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenlies, and that will give you what you need to endure whatever you go through here and still have joy and hope. And the reason is because you know with certainty that there's a future resurrection that's coming right around the corner. And the future resurrection is not merely spiritual, it is also physical. And the future resurrection is not the resurrection of Jesus because He's already risen, it is your resurrection. You will be raised, just as He was. All right, let's talk about it. Look at verse 3. Peter refers to this future event as our inheritance. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
We usually think of inheritance as financial. Money that's not yet mine, but it's coming to me. In fact, I heard about a story of a man in Bolivia. He was, he was homeless. He had nothing. Little did he know, he actually had an inheritance of $6 million because this particular person died and it became his, but he didn't know it. And the police were going to go try to find him and let him know, hey, you're, you're actually a multimillionaire. You don't have to sleep out here on the street tonight. And when he saw the police coming, he thought they were coming to him for other reasons. He thought they were coming to him because of something he had done. And he ran away from them and never received the good news and never received the inheritance. Think about that. A man who had $6 million coming to him and didn't know it and therefore didn't live like it. And my question for you is, is that you? Do you have this incredible future inheritance that's coming to you? And yet you're living as if you don't. Of all people in the world today, we Christians should be the ones who are filled with the most hope. Of all people in the world today, we Christians should be the people who are filled with the most joy. And it's not superficial. It's not superficial hope. It's not, boy, I sure do hope this happens. It's confident. It's certain. I know. I know what's happening in the future. I know for sure what's happening in the future. And it's not a superficial joy, like put a smile on your face and everything's great. It's a, it's a joy that sometimes is, you know, tough, but it, there's a deep contentment. I heard a story about a woman who was sick and dying. I think it was terminal illness, terminal cancer. And uh, someone was, a friend of hers was going to visit, you know, and it's always hard to know. What do you say to someone who's just learned that they're probably not going to be living very much longer? And she was saying, you know, the friend was saying, I'm so sorry. You know, if there's anything I could do, I, I would do anything we could. I'm so sorry. And the lady responded and said, it's okay. It's nothing that a resurrection can't fix. <laughs> and my question for you this morning is this. Do you need to be reminded of that? There's nothing that can happen to you that a resurrection can't fix. And that the resurrection won't fix. Perhaps this morning you're down, maybe depressed. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe you're angry. Maybe you're anxious, worried. Perhaps some of you have just received a difficult diagnosis about a loved one, about yourself. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently. It's nothing, it's serious. I'm not trying to make light of it. It is serious, and we cry with you, and we weep with you. But at the same time, it's nothing that a resurrection can't fix and won't fix. Perhaps you need to be reminded of that today. Uh, look at verse 5 with me. By God's power, you are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our future inheritance is this salvation that, that will be revealed in the last time. What's he talking about? He's talking about a future event. That's why he says the last time. And he's talking about our salvation. Our salvation will be fully realized. It'll be on full display, fully realized. Our salvation will be completed in that day. See, the problem is there are times right now when it doesn't seem so obvious that, we, that this is our inheritance. There are seasons we go through. There are trials we go through. That's why he goes on to talk about trials in verse 6. There are trials we go through that can cause us to doubt, is this really my inheritance? Is this really, am I really a child of God? Does he really love me? Does he really care for me? If so, why in the world would he let me go through this? And we can doubt Serious doubt. And other people can doubt. Well, why would God allow you to go through that? 
And so we can start to doubt our future inheritance because the, the way the experiences we have now might seem to communicate to us, well, maybe this is not our future inheritance. Maybe God has forgotten about us or left us alone. But this is saying here, one day our salvation will be fully realized. When? When is this last time? Look at what he says in verse 7. It's at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is the revelation of Jesus Christ? It's when he's revealed to us physically, when he returns for us. We know he's alive. He conquered the grave once. He's alive right now at God's right hand. One day soon, he returns. And when he returns, he returns physically in the flesh. We see him. We eat with him. And in that day, guess what? For those of us who are in Christ, we will be raised up too. Physically. Physically to eat with him. And we will be with him in that day. And it will be a glorious day. It will not be merely a spiritual resurrection. It will be a physical resurrection. And the same spirit who raised Christ from the dead 2,000 years ago is the same spirit who will raise us up bodily, physically, literally from the dead and will be with Christ. And Paul says we will be changed. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. We will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. That's a part of what we celebrate today. We don't just celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Certainly we do. But we celebrate what it means for us and our future resurrection from the dead because of Christ. I don't know how many of you watched the Masters Golf Tournament last week. I like the way they refer to it as a tradition unlike any other. Right. And I usually, I usually try to watch it. Uh, I watched it this past weekend. And I always enjoy the last day. On Sunday, there's usually several leaders at the top of the board, and you're just sort of waiting by, wondering who's going to fall apart. You know, and it's probably kind of mean, but uh, that's a part of the fun of watching it. Like, who, whose wheels are about to just fall off, and who's going to finish strong? This, this past year, this past weekend, uh, that didn't happen. The leader was too far ahead. I think uh, he was five strokes ahead walking down the 18th fairway. And as he was walking down the 18th fairway, the crowds were cheering for him as if, like, you've won this. You know, the tournament wasn't over. He still had a few shots left. In fact, he missed a putt that he should have made on the 18th green, but he didn't have to make it to win. And even when he missed it, they just started cheering for him. Like, that's kind of weird. You just missed a putt, and they're cheering for you like you just won the tournament. And the reality is that's exactly what they were cheering for him about. They knew he had it won. There were still some putts to be made. There was still some time left. In one sense, technically, officially, the victory hadn't happened, but they knew it was certain. And they were celebrating that. And in a similar way, that's what we celebrate today. There might still be some time left on the clock. There might still be some putts that need to be made. There might be some putts that are missed even. Right? But we, we, we are confident. We know. It's, it's not over yet, but we know it will be. And we know who wins. And we know Christ returns. So how can you be so certain that he's going to return? Because he rose from the grave the first time. Our confidence, our hope is grounded in the past resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it gives us confidence and certainty that he will return again. And if you are trusting in Jesus Christ, I want to tell you this morning, based on God's word, you have already been raised. You are identified with Christ. You're united to Him by faith. You've already been raised and seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And therefore, you have great reason to be greatly confident that one day when He returns, you will be raised up physically. And I just want to tell you, you will not be disappointed in that day. 
Every disappointment you've ever had in your life will be overturned in that day. Think about that. What's disappointed you recently? It will be overturned on that day. Every tear you've ever cried out of sadness and out of hurt will be overturned on that day. Think about that. Every loss that you've ever experienced, the ones that hurt, the ones that still hurt, and will probably hurt until you go to the grave. Every loss that you've experienced will be undone and overturned, and death will be swallowed up in victory. It's going to be a glorious day. You want to make sure that you're there for it, and not just there for it, because the Bible says everybody's going to be there for it to witness it. The question is, will you be there for it and be a part of it? You can be. How? We know it's going to happen because of what Jesus did in the past, his death, burial, and resurrection. So how do you make sure you'll be there? You look to Jesus now, and you trust that he died for your sin, and you trust that God accepted his sacrifice on your behalf and raised him up from the grave, demonstrating that he accepted his sacrifice for you. And if you'll do that, you will be raised up now in the present, seated with Christ in the heavenlies, able to endure with hope and joy, even through the various trials. And one day you will be raised up physically, bodily with Christ in a future resurrection. And I'm telling you, based on God's word, you will not be disappointed. Let's pray.